What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Critics Corner Podcast. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving last week. We are back for another episode. I'm going solo again today, and I'm going to be doing our first ever solely dedicated college football podcast. We've done college football, you know, a little college football coverage, you know, at the beginning of the season with our football season preview. And then also I talked a little bit about it last week toward the end of what was dominantly a baseball podcast. But I figured, you know, what better time to talk some college football considering, you know, we just came off rivalry week. We're heading into conference championship weekend. There's been a lot of you know, head coaching movement around recently in the past 24 hours. Um, And then also, you know, there's a bit of Heisman uncertainty that I want to talk about as well. So I'm really going to talk about, you know, all those things. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give my top 10 rankings heading into this weekend. I'm going to talk about this past weekend, uh, rivalry weekend, all the really chaos that went down over the past uh, 72 hours in college football and kind of where we stand heading into the into conference championship weekend. Um, I think this has been probably the best college football season in the past on like ten years. We've seen true chaos for the first time, and you know as long as I can remember, you know, over the past five years or so, it's been Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, and then you know the fourth team or whatever to make the college football playoff. And we've seen some teams kind of upset in the apple cart, you know. You know, the main one over this past weekend was Michigan's dominant. And don't mistake it, it was a dominant victory over the number two ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State coming into this game fresh off like a 49 to 7, just absolute drubbing of Michigan State. Uh, They came in as like seven and a half point favorites. I think the line went all the way up to like nine and a half at certain points in the week many 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 people were betting on ohio state i believe 90 percent of the public money was coming in on ohio state heading into this game you saw you know people in talk shows like paul feinbaum saying jim harbaugh can never beat michigan or can never beat michigan can never beat ohio state uh you had even in game day i think well obviously desmond howard picked michigan but everyone else herb street corso uh all picked ohio state uh, in Fox Big Noon kickoff, they all picked Ohio State except for Bob Stoops, the former Oklahoma coach. So shout out to him. But the point is, this game heading into it felt like Michigan versus the world. No one, and I mean no one, was giving Michigan a chance in this game. Everyone was writing in Ohio State as you know Big Ten East champions. They're going to win the Big Ten championship game. They're going to head over to the college football playoff. Going to be the number two seed. Um, and I can understand that. Especially coming off that um, that crazy win, dominant win, where it was over in the first quarter against Michigan State. But this Michigan team, they're simply, they're different. There is something different about this culture and the team and the camaraderie this season than in previous seasons. Because, you know, in past seasons, I think even in like 2018, Michigan headed into Columbus as favorites to win that game got drubbed, you know, 2019 got destroyed, Uh, 2017 got beat handedly, 2016 was that double overtime game, the JT was short game, but got destroyed in that game, or not not got destroyed, but lost that game, Um, and then yeah, you know, Harbaugh, we heard it a million freaking times, 0-5 against Ohio State, can't beat the rivals, can't win top 10 matchups, blah, 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 
you know what? I think he got sick and tired of that crap and said, I am a good football coach. And you know what? He is a freaking good football coach. And, you know, everyone can point at the win-loss record against Ohio State, and that's fair. But guess what? No one beats Ohio State. This was Ryan Day's first loss against a Big Ten opponent in his tenure at Ohio State. You know, they're up there with the Alabamas, the Georgias, the, I don't know, those Clemsons of the world, of the college football landscape. Ohio State heading into this game, and they still are, a dominant force in college football. So how much can you fault Jim Harbaugh for not being able to to beat Ohio State? Yeah, I know it's tough because Michigan is biggest rivals. Probably the biggest, they call it the biggest rivalry in the country, and I, I think it is. But heading into this game, you can understand, you know, Ohio State had won uh, every game since 2011. So I understand the thought process and why you want to hold Harbaugh more accountable. But as a Michigan fan, it's just, it was so freaking annoying because he is a good football coach. He just clinched his fourth 10-win season in his seventh season at Michigan. And really, you can say six because they didn't even play 10 games in 2020. That season was kind of a wash. And, you know, they did go two and four, so it was still a disappointing season. And no one, no one was giving this Michigan team a chance handing it to this season. I was reading all, you know, all types of Michigan blogs and stuff on The Athletic, ESPN, whatever, and everyone seemed to think 7 and 5 and maybe 8 and 4 was the ceiling for this team this season. No one. I don't think they're even the most optimistic Michigan fan on the planet would have said that they're going to be 11 and 1 heading to a freaking Big 10 championship game fresh off a dominant win over Ohio State. I mean, as a Michigan fan, it's like pinch me because it does not feel real. It still doesn't feel real. And we'll get into the Iowa game a little bit later. I don't think they're any sort of slouch. It's going to be a tough game, especially the heading off this moral uh, or the um, emotional high of beating Ohio State at home. Dominating Ohio State, don't get me wrong. But back to Harbaugh. He moves to 1-5 and five against Ohio State, and he gets so much hate in the media. But you look at a guy like James Franklin, who's 1-6 versus Ohio State, just clinched his second straight losing Big Ten season. The Penn State finished seven and five overall and four and five in conference. I guarantee you, there's a lot of people before this game that would have taken James Franklin as a head coach over Jim Harbaugh. But I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, Michigan fans' minds, anyone that follows college football closely. Like I don't think anyone would pick James Franklin over Jim Harbaugh unless they just hate Michigan or have something against Michigan because. When you get down to it, Jim Harbaugh is a better football coach than James Franklin. He just is. He has a winning record against James Franklin. Um, he's, you know, like I said, he just got his fourth, tenth win season and basically his sixth season at Michigan. Like, what more can you ask for? And I know he hadn't been Ohio State hang up in the season, blah, blah, blah. But I, I hope this win will shut up some of the Harbaugh haters because it had gotten so repetitive and annoying and Michigan fans were sick and tired of hearing it. But... Nonetheless, getting into the game itself this past weekend, a 42-27 to Michigan victory. Again, I'm going to say they dominated this game, especially in the trenches. The O-line, Michigan's offensive line as a unit was, I would say, MVPs of this game by far. Uh, they helped Hassan Haskins, who by himself is an absolute beast as a running back. With that offensive line is basically unstoppable, and this game he was. As a total, Michigan ran for 297 yards against Ohio State's 64 total rushing yards. Hassan Haskins, 28 carries, 169 yards with five touchdowns. He cements himself as a Michigan legend. 
This game alone, and you know, he's had a great season, but this game alone cements him as a Michigan legend. Finally, for the first time in 10 years, getting a win over Ohio State, and he scored five freaking touchdowns. I mean, Michigan legend, no doubt. Don't forget about Blake Corm. Fresh off that ankle injury, six rushes for 87 yards. He broke that one. Um, it was like a 50 plus yard run. Would have scored if he wasn't hobbled. Um, he didn't have that quite enough breakaway speed, but still great game by Corum. Donovan Edwards had a few catches, only one rush, but he was great against Maryland, by the way. Um, on the defensive end, I mean, the defensive line absolutely dominated Ohio State's offensive line. All the Fox broadcast, all the college game day, everything before the game was saying one of the keys to the game is Michigan being able to get pressure on C.J. Stroud. Because if you give him time in the pocket with his weapons like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they're going to score. So, But if you if you you know get to him and put some pressure on him, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Like They're still going to get theirs, and they did get theirs on offense. Stroud was... Stroud was... Uh, what did he do? He was... 34 for 49 for 394 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Wilson had 10 receptions for 119 yards and a touchdown. Chris Olave, seven receptions for 88 yards. Uh, Smith Najigba, he had 11 receptions for 127 yards. So, like, they still got theirs on offense, but Michigan's ability to get pressure on Ohio State, on CJ Stroud, I think was the key to this game. Aiden Hutchinson, in my opinion, and we'll get into him a little bit later in the podcast, but I think he cemented himself, well, A, as a Michigan legend, no doubt, but I think he cemented himself as the first overall pick based on this game. He set the Michigan single season record with 13 sacks on the season, went from not even being in the Heisman odds book to being third on DraftKings at 14 to one behind CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Um, though There is that video of him pancaking uh, projected first round pick the tackle that he was going against, Thayer Munford, number 75, projected first-round pick. So this is no slouch offensive lineman. Thoroughly dominated him. There was that video on Twitter of him, of Hutchison just throwing him to the ground like he's a high school player, just humiliating him. And, you know, the crazy thing about Hutchinson is he's not, like, massive. He's, he doesn't look like a Miles Garrett or a Jadavion Clowney type of defensive lineman. But he's just, he's so quick. He's great with his hands. He, and he was getting held on basically every play. And, you know, they only called, I, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but they only called a few holdings. Uh, do I have the penalty yardage here? And, the, you know, the funniest thing was Ohio State fans were trying to blame the refs for this loss. Uh, yeah, don't, don't even get me started. So Ohio State had 10 penalties for 66 yards. I want to say like six of those were false starts thanks to the crowd. Just absolutely electric crowd in Michigan Stadium. I would say that's the loudest I've ever heard it. Um, because, you know, Michigan Stadium, while it does hold like 114,000 people, it isn't necessarily the loudest stadium in college football, like maybe a Texas A&M, a Penn State, an LSU, definitely louder environments. On Saturday, I, Michigan was up there in noise. I've never seen it that loud. And it was great, you know, the maze out that they tried to do. The maze really popped. In past seasons, the red dominated the crowd and it made it look like Ohio State was almost playing a home game. Not this season. Michigan was clearly had a home field advantage and it was getting to that offense and CJ Stroud because they had so many false start penalties. It was it was great. Um, the Michigan defense did a great job of bending but not breaking. They held Ohio State to two field goals while they were in the red zone. I would argue that if Ohio State scored touchdowns on those drives, the game could have been completely different. Um, especially 
heading into halftime where, um, well, in the first quarter, Michigan held Ohio State to a 31-yard field goal, which made it 7-3. Then Ohio State scored to make it 10-7. Michigan scored again to make it 14-10. And then with 13 seconds left, Ohio State kicked a a 30-yard field goal to go into halftime behind 13-14. I would argue that if Ohio State scored a touchdown on that possession to make it 17-14 Ohio State heading into halftime, and they got the ball after half, it could have been a completely different game. But the defense did a great job because we always we knew that their offense was going to get theirs. They're, they're just too good. They're probably the best offense in the country. So to hold them to two field goals in the red zone was absolutely pivotal. Um, and the game could have been so different had they scored touchdowns on those drives. Um, so, you know, shout out to the defense. The secondary had gotten so much hate heading into the season. Dax Hill, uh, you know, Gray, all those guys stepped up more against this outstanding Ohio State defense, or offense. They, they stepped up. The secondary stepped up. Um, and I think you got to give a big shout out to Mike McDonald, the offensive court or the defensive coordinator, uh, taking, filling in for Don Brown, who just refused to make adjustments. McDonald was not like, in the past games, you know, Ohio State would just run these crossing routes and Michigan would refuse to move on from playing man-to-man coverage. We're finally seeing zones this season and it, it makes so much more sense in games like this when obviously Ohio State has the talent advantage on offense. So you, like McDonald made the adjustments. He came in, they came in with the right game plan. They knew they had to get pressure on CJ Stroud to have any effect on the passing game and they did just that. You know, I, I think you can make the argument that Michigan has the best pass rush with Hutchinson and Ajabo in the country. Um, Ajabo got a sack in in the last uh, couple plays of the game. He's going to be a top. He's going to be a first round pick, I think. And you know, that's that's just incredible because heading into the season, the majority of of college football fans and honestly even Michigan fans had never heard the guy's name before. Um, and he's he's just had an outstanding season as well. So defense. Great job of bending but not breaking. We knew their offense was going to get some points, but we held them to a couple field goals, um, and that was the the difference in the game, in my opinion. Uh, And also, we completely shut down their rushing attack, only rushing for 64 yards. Now, uh, Travion Henderson did have a touchdown, rushed for 74 yards, but that you take that any day of the week, in my opinion. So. Defense did a great job. Cade McNamara did did his job, and you know he he's a game manager quarterback. He's not going to wow you, but he's going to win you football games, no doubt. He only made that one really bad mistake where he tried to force a kind of like a slant route, a crossing route into like triple coverage. That was in the first quarter. Got that one got picked off. He had Donovan Edwards like wide open, running a in the flat, out in the flat. Would have been fourteen nothing. Did a great job of overcoming that interception early in the game. He went 13 for 19, 159 yards, no touchdowns, and that interception. He also had a had a nice first down rush for a nine yard rush for a first down. I think that was in the third quarter. Uh, it might have been on second or third down. Key rush by him there. You know, hadn't seen him really scramble that much this season. And also, JJ McCarthy, the freshman quarterback, came in for a nice 31 yard completion. I believe it was to Roman Wilson. Um, and there was a great clip of Cade on the sideline cheering him on after pumping his fist after JJ made that great throw. There's only so many schools in the country that I think you can pull off this two quarterback system the way Michigan has, because 
you know, JJ poses more of a rushing threat than Cade does. And, you know, we've seen Harbaugh bring him in for a lot of RPO situations this year. Um, And I think they've done a great job managing both of those guys playing at the same time. Uh, JJ, the five-star recruit, freshman, probably going to take over as quarterback next year, but it's going to be hard to push away Cade just considering he led Michigan to an 11-5 regular season record, um, you know, playing for a Big Ten championship, a win over Ohio State. Like, what more can you ask for, you know? So that could be an interesting quarterback battle. But, I mean, Cade McNamara, first Michigan quarterback to beat Ohio State since Denard Robinson. So I think he cements himself as a Michigan legend as well. You know, if you beat Ohio State, that team goes down in Michigan lore, um, especially considering the drought. Uh, that Michigan had been in over the past 10 years, really over the past my lifetime. We've only won twice in my lifetime. So shout out to Cade McNamara doing his job. He's a great quarterback. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. He's led Michigan through the Big Ten East gauntlet, 11-1 record, really could easily be 12-0, but we don't care if we win this next game or in the playoff, which is, again, like pinch me, doesn't feel real. Um, But, uh, you know, I think... When Michigan went down 10-7 in the second quarter, it really felt like Ohio State could have pulled away. And I think that's where you saw the resolve in this Michigan team, the the just how this Michigan team is different. Because teams in the past, I think Michigan teams in the past would have fallen down, uh, would have let Ohio State pull away. We've seen it countless times. But Michigan instead went on a long, long touchdown drive that ended in a Hassan Haskins rushing touchdown. Um, and went ahead 14-13 at half. The defense stepped up and held Ohio State to that field goal, like I said. Um, I think that's where you saw a different Michigan team, and it really felt like, wow, Michigan might have a chance in this game. And then Michigan came out and just absolutely dominated the second half. They outscored Ohio State 14-0 in the third quarter and 28-14 to in the half as a whole. Um, just, just a great win. Um, I really can't say it enough, like, it would be great to win a Big Ten championship this weekend, and obviously I want Michigan to win the Big Ten championship this weekend. But this is like what Michigan fans have been waiting for for 10 years. Um, it's been so many years of you know, going 10-2, and two, which is great, but finishing off the season with a loss to Ohio State, a dominating loss by, to Ohio State. It always felt like the season was missing something. Or those Rich Rodriguez seasons, those Brady Hoke seasons, like all the struggles that Michigan football has gone through over the past, really my lifetime, uh, 15, 20 years. Um, really, actually, I guess you could say since Lloyd Carr left the program, just all the ups and downs. You know, Harbaugh's been a great coach for Michigan, but had never been able to get over the hump against Ohio State. Never really felt like he could win that big game, even though I would argue that he has been able to win that big game. It was just a really emotional uh, victory for for the Wolverines on Saturday. Felt so freaking good to get over the hump against Ohio State, um, and I'm you know just elated. Everything after this is icing on the cake because this season is already a resounding success. Even if they lose to Iowa on Saturday, season's a success. Eleven and one, beating Ohio State, dominating Ohio State. I mean, it's anything that a Michigan fan could ask for. Uh, I saw a lot of emotional Michigan fans on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff over the over the weekend. So it's just it's great. Uh, Michigan fans just all around uh, ecstatic um, after that win. So that's enough Michigan talk for now. Um, 
I'm going to give, now I'm going to give my top 10 rankings heading into conference championship weekend. And that basically gives me an excuse or a reason to talk about every team in the country. So we're going to get into those right now. And at number one, I don't think there's any argument to be made. It is the Georgia Bulldogs. They're currently 200 or minus 220 favorites on FanDuel to win the national title. I don't have a ton to say about them. They have the best defense in the country. Uh, Their offense is serviceable. It's actually a pretty good offense. They just got George Pickens, their star wide receiver, back this week uh, for just a drubbing of Georgia Tech. Basically another home game. If you saw any pictures from that game, it was all red, even even though it was at Georgia Tech. So... Yeah, I, I would say Georgia is probably going to win the whole thing, actually. And I'm fine by that. Uh, that'd be good for Georgia sports fans getting that Braves in a Georgia national championship in there. But yeah, they're obviously number one. Number two, you know, I'm trying not to be biased, but I have a hard time putting anyone else besides Michigan in this spot. Coming off that drubbing of Ohio State, I think they deserve to be number two heading into conference championship weekend. Everyone else besides Cincinnati has a loss, but I think you have to put Cincinnati or Michigan over Cincy because the Ohio State victory is better than uh, Cincinnati's win at Notre Dame. But my number three ranking, and this might might be controversial. I've seen a lot of people put Alabama at number three, but I'm actually going to put Cincinnati at number three, and that's because their best win is at currently ranked number six Notre Dame, 24-13. If you go back and watch that game, they really dominated uh, Notre Dame in that game, really only holding them to 13 points, obviously. Um, They were able to really just shut down their offense, Notre Dame's offense completely. They're led by, obviously, Desmond Ritter at quarterback. Um, They're undefeated, and, you know, they they ran the gauntlet. (laughs) Not really. That is the AAC uh, only seven-point victories over Navy and eight-point victory over Tulsa, but they destroyed SMU, who was ranked at the time or just outside the top 25 at the time. They got a big one against Houston this weekend, who is going to be within the top 20, I would say. Um, but if they win that, they should be locks for for the playoff. I think there would be riots in the streets if they uh, if they don't if they win that game and they aren't in the playoff. So I think this is the first time that we're going to see a power or a group of six team in, in the playoff. And I think they absolutely deserve it. They're undefeated. I mean, with a with a top, probably going to be a top five victory at Notre Dame, although I, I do think Notre Dame is a little bit overhyped right now, and I'll get into them a little bit later in my rankings. But I have Cincinnati over Alabama just because that win at Notre Dame is better than any victory Alabama actually has. If you go through and look at the schedule and obviously, you know, coming off last weekend, Alabama has really not been impressive the past couple weeks. Barely beating Auburn, really, they really should have lost that game, which would have opened up a whole can of worms in the college football landscape. Could have actually opened up a an opportunity for Ohio State to sneak into the back half of the playoff. So I'm kind of glad Alabama won that game just because it would have been pure chaos. But obviously they were not impressive whatsoever in that Auburn game. Zero points at halftime. I think that was the first time in program history that they had zero points at the half against Auburn. Really, the offense couldn't get anything going until that clutch drive that shouldn't have even happened in the last minute of the game because Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back, ran out of bounds on, I believe it was third down, which stopped the clock. 
and was able to give because I think there was like a sack the play after that, but it was able to give Alabama the ball back with a minute to go, and they went down and scored, of course. Then the game proceeded to go into four overtimes, and Alabama was able to pull it out. Point is, they were not impressive in that game at all. And then the week before, they struggled against number 21, Arkansas. Now, I know Arkansas is much better this season, but if you're Alabama and you expect to be in the playoff or you expect to be a top two team or a top three team, that's a game you should be should be winning by more than seven points. Uh, they struggled big time against LSU. I know that's a huge rivalry game. Only won by six points. Lost, obviously, at Texas A&M on a game-winning field goal. But Alabama's best win of the season is at home uh, over number... They were number 12 at the time. They'll be in the top eight, probably, heading into this next week. But over Ole Miss, 42-21. to 21. Other than that, they don't have a ranked win. <laughs> they do not... Well, I guess Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked. But they have two ranked wins. And I would rank Cincinnati's dominant win at number six Notre Dame over Alabama's wins. And just like the eye test... Right now, I think Cincinnati is playing better football than Alabama. So I would have Alabama at number four, and we will get into conference championship weekend in a little bit. But if Alabama loses this weekend and some other things happen, I'd have a hard time putting them in the playoff. And if it's especially if Georgia just dominates Alabama, I would have a really hard time putting them in the playoff. But obviously, Alabama can still win that football game, and I think a lot of people are actually predicting them to win that football game. So... I'm not so sure, but at number five, and this might surprise somebody or some people, I, I'm going to put the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and I'm going to put them over Notre Dame, who I do have at six, so why, why do I have Oklahoma State over Notre Dame? I think Oklahoma State has simply better wins uh, than Notre Dame, and I think they can sneak in the playoff if they win against Baylor this this uh, this weekend in the in the Big Twelve Conference Championship game, they they have currently they have a win over Baylor, who is currently number eight in the country, most likely to move up a spot, maybe two when the rankings come out tomorrow. So they have a, a win over Baylor at home, twenty four to fourteen. They their only losses at Iowa State. I think Iowa State went eight and four, nine and th- or nine and three this season, and Oklahoma State only lost that game by three points, 24, uh, 24 to twenty one. They have wins at West Virginia, who's a, a respectable team. They won 24-3. to They destroyed TCU 63-17. to They won at Texas Tech 23-0. And obviously, they came over that crazy win against Oklahoma in Bedlam this weekend, who was a top-10 team. Uh, they won that game 37-33. to Now, Oklahoma probably could have won that game if Eric Gray catches that punt. Uh, but... It doesn't matter because Oklahoma State did win that football game. So I, I, especially if they beat Baylor again, that's going to be two wins over a top 10 Baylor team and a ranked Oklahoma team and a ranked, uh, potentially ranked Kansas State team, uh, dominating Texas Tech. Like this offense is really good and their defense is okay. Um, but I, I would probably put Oklahoma State in over Alabama, especially if Oklahoma State wins and Alabama loses this weekend. So that's just my opinion. At number six, I have Notre Dame. Uh, I have them over Oklahoma State because who has Notre Dame really beaten? You know, they have their best win is uh, a dominant, well, 
fourth quarter dominant win over Wisconsin, 41 to 13. But like, let me just read, let me read Notre Dame's wins to you. And this is classic Notre Dame. Like they, they don't really play anybody, but they, they go 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 and they sneak into the playoff and then just get destroyed by Alabama. I think there's a little bit of Notre Dame fatigue this season. Now they are number five right now. Um, I hope they drop, drop behind Oklahoma state to like five against state five or, uh, or sorry, they're number six right now. I hope Oklahoma state jumps them tomorrow, but like their wins this season at Florida state, terrible team. They won by three points in overtime. They beat Toledo by three. They beat Purdue by 14. They killed Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a three loss, big 10 team, tough loss for them at Minnesota this past weekend, lost to Cincinnati at home. That's the best team they've played all year, 24, 13. And then since that, that was October 2nd. They haven't lost, but they beat Virginia Tech by three. USC, they beat them by like 15 points. USC's trash this year. They beat North Carolina by 10. North Carolina preseason top 15 team. Probably the most disappointing team in the country this year. Absolutely absurd loss to North North Carolina State this past weekend on Friday. Uh, Beat Navy, who cares? Beat UVA, who cares? Beat Georgia Tech, who cares? Georgia Tech's horrible. Beat Stanford this past weekend, 45-14. Who cares? Stanford's like three and nine. Like, do we really need to see this team in the playoff? And they don't even play a conference championship game. Like, just put them in a power, uh, a New Year's Six game. But we don't want to see this team in the freaking playoff again. I I would much rather have a one-loss Oklahoma State team with a conference championship. I'd even have a two-loss Alabama team over Notre Dame at this point. Um, I just don't think they're playoff quality. So, yeah, that... I'm over Notre Dame. I think everyone's over Notre Dame. There's Notre Dame fatigue. I hope to see them rank behind Oklahoma State this week uh, on Tuesday. Number seven, I have Ohio State. They should be out of playoff contention, uh, barring like pure chaos, which would be an Alabama loss, a Michigan loss, an Oklahoma State loss. Then they could sneak into the back half of the playoff with two losses. I would have... Now, that would bring up an interesting debate of should you put Ohio State two losses over Michigan two losses, um, but Michigan beat Ohio State head-to-head. That would be an interesting debate, but I, I just, you know, hopefully Michigan take care, takes care of business this weekend. Their only ranked win, Ohio State's only currently ranked team that they beat was that 56-7 drubbing over Michigan State this past weekend. Outside of that, they had a dominant win over Purdue by 28 points. Uh, They beat Nebraska by nine at Nebraska. Shout out to Nebraska, best three and nine team of all time. Uh, So many games that they could have won that they lost, especially this Iowa game this past week. Uh, Ohio State also beat Penn State by nine, a seven and five Penn State team. They killed Iowa or Indiana. They beat Maryland, Rutgers, Akron, Tulsa, lost to Oregon by seven, which really hurts them looking back on it. Then they beat Minnesota by two touchdowns on opening day. So the 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 resume for Ohio State. So if you if you put a two loss Michigan team against a two loss Ohio State team, I still think you the committee would pick that two loss Michigan team. So Ohio State should be out of the playoff at number seven. I think they'll be number seven this week. Um They'll probably go to like the Rose Bowl or something against like uh, the winner of the Pac-12, so Oregon or Utah. But after getting, again, and I'll say it, destroyed against Michigan this past weekend, I think they're out of the playoff. Thank God. 
at number eight, and I think you could put this team at number seven ahead of Ohio State. We'll see. I think it, I think we're going to see the Ole Miss Rebels at number eight, and they've had one of the more underrated seasons in the country this year. You know, their only loss, or they have, they have two losses. They finished ten and two. Their only uh, losses were at Alabama, forty-two to twenty-one. Can't fault anybody for losing to Alabama. Now, at the time, they were number one in the country. Alabama was. They've you know they've shown. Uh, some cracks, some weaknesses since that game. But at the time, Alabama was dominant, uh, the dominant number one team. There was the argument for Georgia as well there, but they were easily one or two in the country. So can't really get mad at them for losing that game. They beat Arkansas by one, beat a good Tennessee team on the road, a night game as well, beat LSU. They beat LSU more uh, dominantly than Alabama did. The only reason Ole Miss is out of playoff contention is because they lost that game at Auburn. When they still had Bo Nix, now uh, Alabama struggled against the second string quarterback with like a damn near broken ankle, it looked like, this past weekend. Uh, Ole Miss lost to Auburn 31-20. But since then, they rattled off rattled off wins against, I mean, Liberty, whatever. But AM, who was 11th at the time, they beat him by 10. Beat Vanderbilt, whatever. And then won at Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl, which is always a tough place to go in, especially in that game. They went in and really won that game pretty handedly. So six and two in the SEC uh, and ten and two overall. Ole Miss has had a great season. Now Lane Kiffin loses Matt Corral. There's obviously speculation that Lane Kiffin might leave Ole Miss. I I don't think so. I think he's going to stay. I think Ole Miss is in the sweepstakes for Spencer Rattler, who just entered the transfer transfer portal today. They're also really in the running for any transfer quarterback. Uh, they're also in the running for Arch Manning, the you know uh, Peyton Manning's son. So I think as if Ole Miss gets another quarterback behind them, they could be a sleeper team next year. Maybe I don't know, but regardless, I think they should be eighth. Shout out to them for going ten and two. And the reason I have them over Baylor, who I have ninth, is because they went six and two in the SEC versus Baylor's seven and two in the Big Twelve. I, I just rank. A, a good SEC season, two-loss SEC season over a two-loss Big 12 season. Now, don't get me wrong. Baylor had a great year. Uh, they have wins over Iowa State, who was ranked at the time. Only losses are at Oklahoma State and then at TCU. That loss at 5-7 and seven TCU is inexcusable. And that's the reason that I have them behind Ole Miss. But still a great season uh, in, uh, by Dave Arnada, their head coach. In, in his second season at the helm, you know, he really has... Turn that program around since Matt Rule left. You know, when Matt Rule left, everyone in the country, including myself, probably thought Baylor football is about to fall off a freaking cliff, you know, because Matt Rule basically brought them from irrelevance to, you know, top five team or whatever it was. They had that surprise season, I want to say, in 2017, 2018. Um, and no one thought they would be back, but he's brought them back. They're a top 10 team. I don't think there's any arguing that. Uh, I just don't think they should be ahead of Ohio State or Ole Miss simply because of that five and seven loss or that that loss to five and seven TCU. They lost thirty to twenty eight. They did beat Oklahoma, but I think Oklahoma is probably a little bit overrated this season. You know they did go ten and two, uh, and then also Baylor struggled this past weekend against Texas Tech, only winning twenty seven to twenty four. So I, I would rank Ole Miss and Ohio State ahead of those ahead of Baylor now. If they beat Texas, if they beat Oklahoma State this weekend, I would probably vault them to seventh ahead of Ohio State and Ole Miss because that would be a great win for them. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. And then 
at number 10, I I think you have to put Michigan State. Uh, they have had a great season under Mel Tucker. There's no denying that. They have a top five win over Michigan. They just beat Penn State with like eight of their starters out with uh, the flu or some sort of sickness. Yeah, they have, have probably the worst secondary in the country, which is why they got absolutely torched by Ohio State, 56-7. to But who are you putting ahead of them? They're 10-2. They're and two. The teams behind them are going to be Oklahoma, which I don't think you would – no way would you put Oklahoma ahead of Michigan State at this point. Oregon, who got destroyed by Utah, which was just an embarrassing loss. So I don't think you can put them ahead of Michigan State. You got BYU, who's probably the best candidate, uh, finishing off the season at 10-2. and two. And then Wisconsin, who was 14th, they lost. 15 A&M, they lost. Iowa at 16, maybe you can make the argument, uh, especially because they're playing for a Big Ten title this weekend. Really, they should have lost that Nebraska game, but don't get don't get me started on that one. Uh, maybe Pitt, ten and two ACC. Uh, I think they're in the Coastal. They won that division. They're heading to the ACC championship game. Maybe them, but I rank that, and you know, they did win the game, so I rank that Michigan win uh, highly, and I, I think they should be number ten over any of those teams that I just mentioned. Outside of that Michigan game, they lost to Purdue. Thank God they lost to Purdue because. Had uh, had they won that Purdue game, actually, they'd be playing for the Big Ten Championship right now. So shout out to Purdue for a little bit of chaos there. Um, and then yeah, I think that Penn State win in the snow this weekend, it was only a three-point win, but I think that was an impressive win with all the uh, injury and the illness that they had this season. So that is my top 10. And just a little, a little quick championship weekend preview for you. Um, so this weekend there are obviously all the power five conference championships and then the, uh, American athletic conference championship. So those are kind of the ones to look out for, um, on Friday, Utah versus Oregon gets it all started. Utah is two and a half point favorites in their rematch against Oregon. This game is being played in San Francisco. I believe no playoff implications whatsoever. Uh, the PAC 12 will miss out on another college football playoff. The last Pac-12 team to make the college football playoff was actually 2016. Washington, who lost pretty handedly to Alabama in the semifinals. And then after that, or before that, was 2014 Oregon. Uh, They lost in the national championship to Ohio State. They beat Florida State. That Jameis Winston-led Florida State Seminoles in the semifinals in that Rose Bowl game. That was the inaugural college football playoff. But in the history of the playoff, there's only been two appearances from the Pac-12. So, you know, this year uh, that continues to be the case. Maybe Lincoln Riley, when he goes to USC, can change that. But for right now, Pac-12 been struggling big time. Then the next game, the first one on Saturday to look for is at 12 p.m. Eastern time. It is the Big 12 championship that I talked about a little bit earlier. Baylor versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is favored by five and a half points. I think the main thing to watch here is... If Oklahoma State wins, are they in the playoff? And I kind of went over the resume and their case a little bit earlier, so I don't need to go into more detail, but that is the main thing to watch for that game. Oh, and if I had to pick, I would actually take Oregon plus two and a half on Friday night against Utah. I think they're playing for a Rose Bowl appearance. I think they get back on track, and they're going to be motivated to win that game. So I would take Oregon in that game, and then in this Pac-12 championship game, I'm actually going to take... Oklahoma State minus the five and a half. I think they know that they're playing for a college football playoff uh, appearance. 
And I think Baylor kind of knows. Now, I know they're playing in the Big 12 championship, but I kind of think they know they have no chance with two losses to make the playoffs. So Oklahoma State with one loss, playing for their playoff lives. I like their chances to cover the spread on Saturday. I think their offense um, really is potent. And Baylor really struggled with Texas Tech last weekend. So I think Oklahoma State is the better team here. I think they cover and win outright as well. So the next, the, really the big one uh, is Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Georgia, six and a half point favorites versus Alabama. Main thing to look here, look out for here is, is Alabama out of the playoff if they lose this game? Because obviously, you know, Georgia is in the playoff, even if they lose and are 12 and one, they're, they're going to make it. They've been dominant. They have earned their right to be in the playoff. I honestly think they could still be in the number one seed, even if they lose this game. But if Alabama wins this game, you could probably make the argument that they're the number two seed. I don't think you would have them at three behind a Michigan team. Um, do I think Alabama wins this game? No, no. If Alabama scored zero points at halftime against Auburn's defense and Auburn's backup quarterback or playing, you know, they gave up, what, uh, 10 points? It was 10-10 heading into overtime, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against Auburn's backup quarterback. Auburn was moving the football in that game. Don't get me wrong. So if Alabama can't score against Auburn's defense, my point is, how are they going to score against Georgia's basically NFL defense? I don't see it. I honestly, I, I see Georgia running away with it in this game. I think they cover the six and a half pretty easily. Um, I think they, especially with George Pickens back, that offense is actually legitimate now. Um, their running game is outstanding. I think, I think Georgia wins this game by two or maybe even three touchdowns. I think Georgia is kind of having like a 2019 LSU type season. Obviously, their their offense isn't as good as LSU's was with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Elaire. They're not as good as that offensively, but their defense is that good. Their defense is honestly, honestly, and this might sound crazy, their, their offense is literally NFL caliber. I think they could hold like the Lions to three or four touchdowns. I, I hate the comparison because... Like, the, any NFL team has, you know, 22 starting NFL players versus Georgia, however they meant, however many they have. But, and, you know, they're still kids at the end of the day. They're not grown-ass men, but really they are grown-ass men. I mean, look at Jordan Davis. Dude's absolutely massive. My point is, I just don't see this Alabama team scoring. Their wide receivers don't impress me. Bryce Young is okay. Um... I think he's probably going to win the Heisman, and I'll get into that a little bit later again, like I said. But I just think I, my gut feeling says Georgia runs through Alabama on Saturday in Atlanta and heads to the college football playoff 13-0, and they're probably going to go 15-0 and win the national title. I just don't see anyone stopping this team. Next game up, again, Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time is Houston versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati is 10.5-point favorites. Really, the main thing to look for here is if Cincinnati wins, which I think most people will would predict them to win, uh, are they in, are they a lock, lock, like an absolute lock for the playoff? I think you have to say yes, 13-0, uh, wins over Houston, SMU, obviously that Notre Dame game. Houston hasn't lost since their week one loss. Uh, who did they lose to week one? They lost to... Uh, they, so they had a loss on September 4th to Texas Tech, but since then they've won every game. 
uh, wins over, well, really no one good. I guess SMU, they won by a touchdown. But other than that, the American Athletic Conference is pretty poor. Nonetheless, they're still 11-1. So I don't think like this is going to be a runaway win for Cincinnati. This is really the best team they've played since Notre Dame back in early October. So I would actually pick Houston to cover the spread here. But I think Cincinnati wins by like a touchdown. I know they're, you know, they're going to come out motivated. Like they're like, we got to win this game. We might even have to win this game big. They're going to feel that way to make the playoff. But I like uh, Houston to cover in this game, but Cincinnati to win. And they're probably going to go into the playoff as the three or maybe the four seed, depending on what happens. So yeah, got Cincy in that game to win. Next game is Michigan, 10 and a half point favorites versus Iowa Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thing to look for here, I would say, is Michigan a lock for the two seed if they win? And I, will it be pure chaos if they do lose? Now, I think there's a way in which Iowa can win this game. You know, they have a, a top five defense in the country. I don't think there's any arguing that, but their offense is atrocious. They haven't even named a starting quarterback for this game. They really should have lost to Nebraska, but they rattled off yet another 10 win season. I think. Uh, Kirk Ferentz, the head coach at Iowa, is one of the one of the best coaches in the country. I think he's criminally underrated, considering the recruiting classes he brings every brings in every season. Just the talent level overall at Iowa is not necessarily as high as like a Ohio State, a Michigan, a Penn State, but they always compete with the Big Ten elite. You know, uh, they beat Iowa State, they beat Indiana. They were number two in the country at one point. When they were 6-0, fresh off that win over number four at the time, Penn State. I think everyone kind of knew that they weren't the number two team in the country. And then they rattled off two straight losses to Purdue. And then at Wisconsin, they got drubbed 27-7 uh, against Wisconsin. But they were able to sneak in this game thanks to their win at Nebraska on Friday. Comeback win, that a game they really should have lost, like I said. And Wisconsin's honestly stunning loss to minnesota on saturday uh wisconsin were they were seven point favorites in that game weren't able to get the offense going that's wisconsin's main issue really the big 10 west issue iowa wisconsin is offense they have great defenses but their offense just never there for whatever reason wisconsin hasn't been able to uh now they do they do have a running back finally but they really haven't been able to get their offense going since jonathan taylor left the program but again, Wisconsin is another one of those teams that doesn't necessarily recruit as well as Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, but they're always competing with those teams. So I got a lot of respect for that. Um, and I got a lot of respect for Iowa. And I think Michigan is not going to come into this game overlooking Iowa. The, the mentality this year is different. They're, Michigan, like in the past, probably felt like they were, you know, like the big shit, basically. They, they thought they were going to run, run over teams like Iowa, run over teams like Maryland, all that stuff. And they did, don't get me wrong. But they probably came into the Ohio State game a little bit overconfident in the past. And this year, they really took it a lot more seriously, every game a lot more seriously. They're not looking ahead. I think they're going to, I think they're going to come into this game extremely focused. Michigan really wants to win their first 10, their first ever Big Ten championship game. It would be Michigan's first outright Big Ten championship since 2003 when I was five yeah five years old so I don't remember that whatsoever they split with Iowa in 2004 and then whenever they started the Big Ten championship game which was I want to say in like 2011 or so um, Michigan hasn't even played in that game obviously you know they've had to overcome the hurdle of Ohio State which they haven't been able to 
since except for this year. So this is like I keep saying it's foreign territory for Michigan. They're they're going to be hungry to win that first outright Big Ten championship since 2003, uh, first Big Ten title when they split it with Iowa uh, since 2004. So I think this this Michigan team is not going to overlook Iowa at all. Uh, the, the main thing to look for here is can Iowa's offense get anything going because they've they've really struggled this year and that Michigan defense is is a bit of a juggernaut right now. Um, their, Iowa's offensive line is certainly up for a big test against Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, and we saw Michigan secondary that was able to I guess you could say somewhat limit Ohio State's offensive weapons. Probably the best offense in the country. They held them to 27 points. So if I was, you know, one of the worst offenses in the country, what is what does that look like? Now, Michigan's offense is certainly up for a test against Iowa's defense. I don't think we're going to be able to run the ball like we did against Ohio State. We're going to need to see Cade have a good game, kind of like what he did against uh against Michigan State, but Iowa's secondary is much much better than Michigan State's. I think that goes without saying. They have I believe their safety, I'm not sure his name, but I think he leads the league or leads the nation in interceptions and Iowa as a defensive unit, I believe they lead the lead or lead the uh, country in turnovers. I'm actually gonna fact check that real quick. Uh, one sec. So yeah, just uh, just googled Iowa's defense. They're third in the country in turnover margin. They have 15 interceptions and nine fumble recoveries. So this defense is no joke. Again, it's just a matter of can their offense get the ball moving against Michigan's defense. Michigan's 10 and a half point favorites. I honestly think if Iowa's offense can get anything going, they can easily cover this spread because I don't think Michigan's going to put up more than like 28 points. I, I would take the under in this game. I'm, let's let's see what the over-under is. I'm going to look that up on FanDuel real quick because if I had to guess, it'd be like 42. Uh, it's going to be a classic, ugly Big Ten slugfest in my opinion. Um, so yeah, according to FanDuel... Right now, the over-under is at 43.5. I think it's going to be like a 28-7, to 7, maybe a 28-14, 28-21 type game. Um, I just don't see Michigan scoring any more than four touchdowns. So I would take Iowa plus 10.5, but I do think Michigan ultimately wins this game. I don't want to like get my hopes up too much just because it is Michigan. They've ultimately let me down so many times in my life. But like I said earlier in the podcast... This season is still a success because we finally got over the hump against Ohio State. But I think this Michigan team is extremely hungry to cap off the win, uh, cap off the season, or ca- cap off the I guess you could say regular season with a win over Iowa in a Big Ten championship. And then uh, the, the the nightcap, or I guess alongside Michigan, the nightcap is Pittsburgh two and a half point favorites against Wake Forest Saturday at eight p.m. Eastern. Not, not a ton to look for here. I guess you could say Pittsburgh's uh, quarterback, Kenny Pickett, who's going to be like a top five quarterback picked in this year's NFL draft. He wears two gloves, by the way, uh, against Wake Forest's atrocious defense. Wake Forest has a pretty good offense led by Sam Hartman. Winner of this game is most likely going to the Peach Bowl, so New Year's six appearance for whoever wins this game. It'll be a nice change of pace to see somebody besides Clemson win the ACC. And, you know, Clemson, I guess you could say, is probably the disappointment of the season. Despite going 9-3, and three, um, they have certainly disappointed this year. So, yeah, that's really all you have to look for in the Amer- in the ACC championship game. Next up, I want to touch a little bit on the really weird Heisman, Heisman race this year. Because for the first time in really recent memory, this is the first season that I can think of where 
heading into conference championship weekend, there's no clear Heisman frontrunner. You know, usually by this time, it's pretty obvious who's going to win the Heisman, right? Like last year, Devonta Smith. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of a debate, but it was a weird 2020 shortened season. Uh, year before that was Joe Burrow, which was pretty much undeniable. Everyone had Joe Burrow. And then, you know, in the past you had seasons like Lamar Jackson, uh, Kyler Murray, like there's just no one that really stands out this season. And if you look like statistically, for example, CJ Stroud, who's second favorite right now to win the Heisman, he went for 3,862 yards passing, 38 touchdowns, which is fifth in the country, five picks, zero rushing touchdowns. Bryce Young, the current favorite, 3,901 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, four picks, and two rushing touchdowns. So I think you have to have Bryce Young over CJ Stroud. Now, neither of these players have had Heisman moments. I guess you could say Bryce Young throwing for like damn near 600 yards against Arkansas, maybe. But is Arkansas like a playoff contender? No. Ohio State, two-loss team, like... Last year, Devonta Smith won. Alabama won the national championship. Year before that, Joe Burrow won. LSU won the national championship. Like the point is, usually it's like the best player from the best team. But this year, Georgia, their offense doesn't necessarily have any front runners. Like you're not going to give the Heisman to Stetson Bennett. You're not going to give it to uh, JT Daniels, who's barely played this season. I guess you could give it to their entire defense. Like maybe Jordan Davis, I, I, I'm i kind of surprised he hasn't gotten any Heisman buzz this year. But like if you just compare those two, those two. So if you compare Bryce Young to the last quarterback to win the award, Joe Burrow in 2019. Joe Burrow in 2019 threw for 5,671 yards versus Bryce Young's 3,900. Joe Burrow had 60 touchdowns, 60 Versus Bryce Young's 40, CJ Stroud's 38, Joe Burrow threw six interceptions that season, won the national championship, 15-0 season. 2016, Lamar Jackson, I think you could argue, argue probably the best college football season of anyone ever. 1,800 passing yards, 30 touchdowns passing, nine picks, rushing, he had 1,500 rushing yards and 21 rushing touchdowns versus CJ Stroud has zero rushing touchdowns. I don't even think he's ran for 10 yards this season. Bryce Young has two rushing touchdowns, hasn't run for more than 100 yards rushing. So like, and even like a 2000, let me me pull up this website. Even a 2018 Kyler Murray, he had 4,300 yards passing, right? That's more than Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, way more. 42 touchdowns, better than Bryce Young. Seven picks, Oklahoma made the playoff. Even that year, second place, Tua Tagovailoa, 30, basically 4,000 yards passing, 43 touchdowns and six picks. That's a better season than either of those quarterbacks. If you want to go running back, if you want to go the running back route, well, actually, even 2017 Baker Mayfield, 4,600 yards passing, 43 touchdowns, six picks, better than Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud this year. Oklahoma made the playoff. If you want to go, I said 2016 Lamar Jackson. If you want to go last running back to win it, because you can look at a guy like Kenneth Walker and say, oh, well, he should win the Heisman. Michigan State, 10 and 2. Well, Kenneth Walker ran for 263 attempts, 1,600 yards rushing, 18 touchdowns, 
average yards per carry. He's second in the nation in rushing behind freshman Lou Nichols of Central Michigan. Uh, basically, Kenneth Walker's Heisman, mo- Heisman moment was that outstanding performance against Michigan where he ran for like five touchdowns, like almost 200 yards, whatever. But he only had six carries for 25 yards against Ohio State. If he had a big Ohio State game, I think, yeah, he would probably be the Heisman frontrunner, but he disappointed. The last running back to win was Derrick Henry in 2015. He had 395 attempts versus Kenneth Walker's 263. So he basically had 130 more carries, 132 more carries than Kenneth Walker did this season. But he ran for 2,200 yards and 28 touchdowns. Again, I think that was one of the best running back seasons of all time. Second place that year, interestingly enough, was Kishin McCaffrey, who had 337 attempts, uh, 2019 yards, 6.0 average yards per carry, eight touchdowns, and led the nation in all-purpose yards. I, I would even argue that McCaffrey had a better season in 2015 than Kenneth Walker had in 2021. Michigan State's not going to make the playoff. They could sneak into a New York Six Bowl, or they could even be in like the Outback Bowl, one of the better New Year's Day Bowls. Point is, eh, I mean, is Kenneth Walker, like, does he really feel like a Heisman winner? Like, yeah, he had a good season. Is it a Heisman caliber season? Eh, I mean, maybe. So that brings in the right, currently third odds on favorite to win the award, Aiden Hutchinson. Now, I know you're going to say, oh, that's Michigan bias, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, if there's ever if there's ever a year for a defensive player to win the Heisman, I would argue it's this year. I mean, Michigan, very good chance that they're going to Knock on wood. God, knock on wood. God forbid. But please, Michigan could win the Big Ten championship game, right? 12-1 season. Again, I'm assuming they beat Iowa this weekend. College football playoff. Probably the number two seed in the college football playoff. Aiden Hutchinson is probably the best player on Michigan. He's going to be the number one overall draft pick. He's had 32 solo tackles. Set the season re- season single season record for Michigan. Probably the one of the top three college best college football programs of all time. Top five, maybe. Winning his program of all time. He set the single-season sack record for that program with 13. Absolutely dominant against Ohio State. I would I would make the argument that that, that that game was his Heisman moment. Three sacks, seven tackles. Got held on every play. Double-teamed quite often. If there's ever a year to give it to a defensive player, it's this season. He also He's also had two forced fumbles this year. Compare him to the last uh, defensive player to make New York to be a Heisman finalist. Another Michigan player, 2015 Jabril Peppers, ended up finishing fifth place behind Henry McCaffrey, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield. Oh, wait, sorry. 2016. My apologies. 2016, he finished behind Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, D.D. Westbrook, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. He was a Heisman finalist. He made it to New York. He made it to Radio City Music Hall. He had 46 tackles solo, 20 assisted tackles. He was a safety three sacks, a pick, and also he had a punt return and played offense. I would say, and he was a, he was a first-round pick. I don't think he was, I think he was like in the 20s to the to the Browns. I would say Aiden Hutchins had a better season, and obviously Jabril Peppers was going up against probably the best single season ever for a college football player in Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Lamar Jackson single-handedly made Louisville football relevant. I mean, dude was just unbelievable to watch at Louisville point is Aiden Hutchinson's going up against much 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 weaker opposition than Jabril Peppers was in 2016 it's going to be very interesting to see what happens this weekend if you know if Bryce Young somehow throws the ball all over 
Georgia's defense, which I don't predict it to happen. But if he does, he should win the Heisman. Especially because C.J. Stroud is sitting at home watching football this weekend. If Aiden Hutchinson goes off again against Iowa, pretty solid offensive line. If he goes up and just dominates that game, has maybe one or two sacks, a few tackles, maybe even forces a turnover. I just, I mean, why not? Why not Aiden Hutchinson, right? It'd be a 12-1 Michigan team, Big Ten championship, Big Ten champions, beat Ohio State, going to the playoff. I don't know. I'm just saying this is a weird season for, for Heisman voting. This is the first time that I can remember where we haven't where we haven't had a frontrunner. Like I've gone through every year up to 2015. 2014, we had Marcus Mariota. He was dominant. 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns. Jesus, man, 42 touchdowns. Um, 2013, even, you had uh, James Winston, 4,000 4, yards, 40 touchdowns. I believe they won the national championship that year. He was a freshman, by the way. Uh, 2012, you had the man, the myth, the legend. Sorry, this, this page is loading. But uh, the point is, we haven't seen, yeah, 2012 was Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel. Um, Manti Teo actually finished second that year as a linebacker from Notre Dame. He had 55 solo tackles, 58 assisted tackles, only 1.5 sacks, and seven picks as a, as a linebacker. That's pretty impressive. I think Notre Dame made the national championship that, that year as well and lost to Alabama. Uh, 2011, RG3, man, he was fun to watch in college. He won the award. I would say he was kind of a runaway. Second place was Andrew Luck at Stanford. Man, talk about weird athletes. Like, I mean, obviously he's very smart. He went to Stanford, but he played a few years with the Colts, like five or six years, and then retired suddenly. Probably a smart move, but he just fell off the face of the earth. Has anyone heard anything or even seen Andrew Luck in the flesh over the past however many years since he's been retired? They need to they they need to come out with like a Netflix documentary or something about Andrew Luck because I would watch that. I really I I so I was just sitting there the other day wondering like just randomly popped into my mind like what is Andrew Luck doing right now? Where is he living? If I had to guess, he's probably living in like the hills in New Zealand, like just living his own life with his wife. I think he's married. Uh, he doesn't have any social media or anything. Like no one has any idea what the hell Andrew Luck's doing with his life at this point. So. Just one of the more interesting athletes of recent memory. 2010, Cam Newton led Auburn to a national title. Uh, 2009, we had Mark Ingram at Alabama. Toby Gerhardt finished second that year at Stanford. All right, anyway, I've gone over it enough. Like, this is a weird season for the Heisman, so why not give it to Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan? So uh, I think that's one thing to look out for, again, this heading into this weekend, conference championship weekend. And then the last thing I want to talk about real quickly, real, real quickly before we get out, uh, is the Lincoln Riley news. He's headed to USC to be the next head coach at USC. He leaves Oklahoma, where he compiled a 55-10 and 10 record as head coach. Uh, he's only been the head coach since 2017. He went 1-3 in bowl games, 0-3 in the college football playoff. I believe he was the head coach when Mayfield and Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. So he's definitely a good quarterback developer. He developed Caleb Williams this year into a serviceable starter you know led him to a 10 and 2 record so they were a bit disappointing this year uh, he was able to able to overcome poor defenses and win the big 12 uh, with potent offense make it to the playoff never was able to do anything in the playoff because the defense was so bad so we're going to see usc uh become a very good offensive team now defense that's remains to be a question 
OU's defense was actually their strong suit this year, but their offense was disappointing with, you know, the quarterback controversy between Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. Spencer Rattler just recently entered the transfer portal. Will we see him follow Lincoln Riley to USC? I don't think so. I think Spencer Rattler is going to go to a smaller school. Honestly, could see him go to Michigan State. I wouldn't be surprised. Mel Tucker, great at recruiting transfers. Uh, maybe maybe a Penn State, uh, maybe a Miami. We'll see. But uh, Lincoln Riley won four Big, te- Big 12 titles. But, I mean, my, my question is, how good of a head coach is he really? <laughs> like, everyone's looking at this like it's USC is back. They're going to win. They're going to be competing for national titles. They're going to be winning the Pac-12 easily, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, they're, they're going to definitely be 9-3, and 10-2, 11-1 type of team. But, what like, what's the ceiling with Lincoln Riley? He's, he's only been a head coach since 2017. He's won the Big 12, which has been way down of late. He's getting dominated against good teams in the playoff. His defenses have been horrendous. I, I, I'm just curious. Now, we know he's a great recruiter. Um, and I, We've already seen a bunch of you know four-star, five-star recruits decommit from Oklahoma just because he left the program. Um, but you know, at, at USC, and the reason they've been da- they've been so bad uh, compared to you know where they were when Pete Carroll was there, even uh, the when they won the Rose Bowl in like 2016, they were they were, they've been really bad the past few years is because they haven't been able to recruit in the state of California and Los Angeles. And you could argue that California is the best college football high school college football state in the in the country. All he, all Lincoln Riley really has to do is win the state or win the state of California and win the city of Los Angeles. If he can recruit just in California and get the best talent in California to the best program in California, which is USC obviously. If he can get the top talent at, in LA in California, USC will be relevant again. There's just too much talent in the state. Now, we've seen a lot of California guys go to top programs in the SEC, Ohio State, even Michigan. Can Lincoln Riley win the state of California is going to be one of the more interesting things to look forward to. I think he's going to get on the recruiting trail like today, tomorrow, start recruiting for next season, try to get a decent class heading into next year, make USC good again. I think we're going to see we're going to see USC probably go 12 and 0 and win the Pac-12. I wouldn't be surprised in in the coming years. USC is going to be good again. It's just a matter of can they get it done in the playoff because this guy has not been able to get it done in the playoff. So I'm interested to see who he brings in at quarterback. He's going to be in the running for Arch Manning. I think, um, you know, we can look at Arch Manning going out west to SC. I think that's a case. You know, any quarterback, any good quarterback, high school or even transfer is going to want to play for this guy. He's, he turns quarterbacks into Heisman winners, turns them into number one draft picks. Now, he didn't wasn't able to do that this year with Rattler or Williams. I don't think any of those guys, if they were going into the draft this year, will be top of their class. I think Matt Corral is going to be the first quarterback taken this year. Point is, is this guy that good? I, to me, he still has to prove it. OU, winning the Big 12, in my opinion, isn't that impressive. And winning the Pac-12, quite frankly, isn't going to be that impressive. It's it's going to be a matter of, can this guy get it done against the elite of the of the elite in the college football playoff, which he has not been able to do in the past. So that is my take. Oh, and also, I think he left OU in just terrible fashion, saying, I'm not going to be the head coach at, the, at, at, at LSU. Never said he's going to stay at Oklahoma, so I, w- I won't fault him for that. But he never, I think, because he was so adamant in saying that he is not going to LSU. He will not be the next head coach at LSU. 
I think he knew like midseason when um, USC fired Clay Hilton in September, like mid-September. I think he was in contact with USC getting this all worked out because, and you know, we never heard a peep from USC about their coaching coaching vacancy, which usually there would be a lot of speculation, a lot of, you know, all the talk shows talking about who USC is going to get. We didn't hear anything about it from when they got rid of uh, Clay Hilton in September to now. And then all of a sudden on Saturday night, Lincoln Riley is, like, he gets asked, is he going to be the next head coach at LSU? That was kind of where he was mainly linked with. And he was so adamant in saying, no, I, I can guarantee you, I am not going to be the next head coach at LSU. He knew probably since October, maybe even September, that he's going to be the next head coach at USC because this guy leaves. They lose Bedlam. They lose a brutal, tough loss to their bitter rivals in Oklahoma State. The next day, he's flying to LA to be the next head coach at USC. I mean, just a bad look, man. I don't know. I find it kind of classless. You know, OU made you, man. OU made you what you are today. You were the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for a couple years at Oklahoma. You were the head coach for five, four or five years or whatever. I want to say OU made, and you know, he, he did play at Texas Tech for a year. He was quarterback there. He, he coached there for five years leading into, uh, well, he went to East Carolina, then he went to Oklahoma. But Oklahoma made you the name you are today. Why don't you show a little bit more respect for the program that made you? I just, I had a little bit of an issue with the way he left. And I don't know. We'll see what happens at USC. And you know what? You can win a Pac-12. Good for you. You know what? I, I take, I'd even take a James Franklin to go to USC and win the Pac-12. It's not that hard to win the Pac-12. The Pac-12 sucks. It's the worst Power 5 conference by a country mile. Look at Oregon. Your best college football playoff contender this year got spanked by an okay, a, a, I'll give it, a solid Utah team, but they just got embarrassed against Utah. Haven't had a playoff, scene, playoff team since 2015 Washington. They haven't really even been close since then. I don't care if you win the Pac-12. It's not about the Pac-12 for USC. At USC, it is about national titles. It is about college football playoff appearances. Can he do that? That remains to be seen. That is all I have for you guys today. Sorry for going on a little bit of a rant there at the end, but I, I'm just a little bit annoyed by this Lincoln Riley hype when I don't think he's proven to me that he's a top five coach in college football when it seems like everyone in college football media uh, and even just college football fans think he is, think USC is going to back, back to the pinnacle, back to the Pete Carroll days. Remains to be seen for me. Um, but that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you all for listening. Um, Shout out, big shout out to Michigan for just, I, I mean, I can't believe it happened. You know, pinch me. I feel like I'm dreaming. Hopefully they can pull it out this weekend and beat a good feisty Iowa team. Big 10 champions. At that point, I don't care if they win another game. I don't care if they win a playoff game. Um, it's really just about winning the Big 10, beating Ohio State. It's already it's already an absolutely incredibly successful season. Here's hoping for an exciting college football um, conference championship weekend and next podcast I do heck I might talk some more college football preview the playoff preview bowl season bowl season is always a lot of fun until then I will catch you all on the next episode bing bong